Good morning and uh, welcome back to Hot Shabbat, Sefer Ahavach, Mishadorach Rambam. Today, chapter 5 is going to deal with the halachot of, um, of Hadlakat Ner Shabbat. And as an aside to that, and perhaps very relevantly to all of us, to me, most interestingly, we are going to touch upon the subject of Ben Hashemashot. The subject of Ben Hashemashot is worthy of many, many books on it. But at least I'm going to give you a, a little bit of a taste of something. Okay. Halakha Aleph. Halakat Ner Beshabbat, Eno Reshut im Rasa Matlik vim Rasa Eno Matlik. ולא מסווה שאינו חייב לרדוף אחריה. The lighting of the, of, the, of the lamp of Shabbat is not something that is permissive or, or uh, conditional or optional, that if you want, you light it, if you want, don't light it, and then if you light it, you say beracha nor a mitzvah that you only light it if uh, the opportunity comes to you, but rather, like some conditional mitzvot we spoke about, like Ayruv Haserot, which you only do if you want to carry from one Haser to another or from one uh, house to the other. Or if you want to wash your hands to eat bread, which you will only do if you actually want to eat bread. Rather, this is an affirmative obligation. Everyone needs to have a candle lit on Shabbat in their house. Whether men or women, everyone has the obligation to make sure, listen to the obligation, to make sure that on Shabbat there is a candle lit in the home. Okay? In other words, if the candle was lit from before, if there is a candle permanently lit, apparently the mitzvah is fulfilled. Even if he doesn't have what to eat, the person should resort to begging and get enough money to buy oil and light the candle. <clears throat> this is part of Onik Shabbat, of the, the kind of uh, pleasure that we try to achieve on Shabbat. And a person must say the Beracha before lighting the candle, the one who has sanctified us through his misvot and has prescribed to us to light the, the lamp of Shabbat, like we do a Beracha for anything that is prescribed by Hachamim. We explained the reason as to why in Ilchot Berachot. Unlike Nerot Hanukkah, where we do not use them for anything else, the candle, the light of Shabbat is meant to be used. By the way, I'm avoiding the use of the word candle because candle in modern English has a connotation of this stick of uh, wax with uh, the, which, which we light. That's not Ner. It actually is not is not permissible to light with such a thing as we're going to see. So I'm going to use the word lamp to translate ner, as nerot always looked. The nerot were always more like what you find in Aladdin than what you find 
um, in uh, that that they that they uh, that people use. A person who was lighting the lamp of Shabbat should do so while it still is day outside before Shekiata Hama, before the, the setting of the sun. And this misva happens to be for practical reasons more of a precept of a mitzvah for women than for men. Why? Because for the most part, they happen to be mostly at home during that time, and they are the ones who, for the most part, prepare the rest of the Shabbat. And although women normally are careful about this, the man doesn't fulfill his obligation or his responsibility just by thinking that this is being done at home, but he has a personal responsibility to make sure that this is done. As we say in Bama uh, Madliki, in the very famous chapter we read every Friday night, and the third one is, should say to his family, before Shabbat begins, before it darkens, light the candle. Um, Haramba makes a point about this in, in uh, Perusha Mishnayot, that this should be done, this should be done in, in a nice tone, in a nice way. The Mishnah does not say a person should scream or should uh, give a command, rather say it, say it nicely as a reminder, a very gentle, kind reminder. If it's not known whether Shabbat has come in yet or not, then one should not light the candle. You're not doing anything good, anything beneficial by lighting a candle after its time. And now, Halacha Dalet, I want to speak about Ben Hashemashot. Let me just read the Halacha and then I'll open this fairly, I think, relatively long parenthesis. From the moment the sun sets, I'll explain what this means, until one sees or until they are visible three stars of medium size, medium sized or medium luminescence stars. This is a time that whenever we refer to the term Ben Hashemashot, we mean. And it's a twilight time that we don't know, we can't, it's undefined of whether it belongs to the day, the day that just ended, or to the night that just began. And therefore, we we what we do is we 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 are mahmir on it everywhere. And we treat it sometimes as night, sometimes as day, depending on the context. Depending on the context. 
ולפיכך אין מדליקים בו, and that's why we don't light the candle, the, the, the lamp of Shabbat during this time, because as Humra, we treat it as Shabbat, on Shabbat we are not allowed to light a fire, and therefore we don't light the candles of Shabbat, the Ner Shabbat. והעושה מלאכה בין השמשות ערב שבת ובין השמשות במוסאי שבת. And a person who does a מלאכה both in the twilight time preceding the Shabbat, as well as in the twilight time that follows the Shabbat, בשוגג חייב הטעת מכל מקום. If he did so, בשוגג, if he did so while forgetting that today is Shabbat, or forgetting that what he was doing is not permissible, or he didn't know that what he was doing was Hayav Karet, then he'd be Hayav Hatat, Mikol Makom, Mikol Makom in Aramaic is Mimayin Afshach, Mimayin Afshach, translated to Hebrew, Mikol Makom. How so? Because if the, per, if the person, so let's say I did Melacha and Benashem Ashot of both times, so if the first one turns out that it's day, that means that I was allowed to do melacha then, but that makes the second one to be day as well, in which case the second one is fully Shabbat, and vice versa. If the first one is night, then the second one is also night, and then I, I was chayav because of the first one. וכוכבים אלו לא גדולים הנראים ביום ולא קטנים שנראים אלא בלילה and these stars we are talking about they are not stars that are the big ones that are seen during the day like for example Venus it's not really a star but they, they used to think that it was or uh, the, the, nor the, the, the small ones the, the ones that are very dim which are only seen when it's dark at night into the night אלא, sorry, מי שיראו שלושה כוכבים אלו הבינוניים, so from the moment in time when you see these three stars, or those three stars are visible, the three stars that are not the dimmest ones, nor the brightest ones, then this is for sure night, and we no longer have this twilight, בנחשמשות time, in which we don't know if it's night or day. So let me give you a few pointers about בנחשמשות. First of all, from here, it seems from Harabam's description that Ben Hashemashot is a function of actually seeing the stars. And you'd be right, that's what it seems from here, but Harambam later defines exactly what Ben Hashemashot is in Ilchot Terumot, Perek Zayin Halachabet. And for Harambam, it is clear here, and it is even clearer in Pirusha Mishnayot, that for Harambam, Ben Hashemashot is a set time. It's a set time. It doesn't matter whether the stars actually are seen or are not seen. It doesn't matter what area of the world this might be. It is a set time. And uh, it's a set time. And, uh, and after that time, night begins. That time, it's machloket in the Gemara between Amoraim, between Amoraim, how long that time is. And Harambam is posek lehalacha, and virtually everyone agrees that the halacha is that it's three quarters of 
the time that it would take the Roman army to march a length of of uh, of, uh, of distance that was called a mil, three quarters of a mil. That is in, in the equivalence to today's term. That is eighteen minutes. Eighteen minutes is the time. So again, let me just go to the conclusion, and then I'm going to give you a few things of how we get there. For Harambam, there is a shakiah. I'll tell you in a second what the shakiah is because that's not clear. Also, and then you count eighteen minutes exactly by the clock, winter, summer, every time through the year. Those eighteen minutes are benashemashot. Those eighteen minutes are a twilight that we don't know if it's night or if it's day. And then after those 18 minutes, night begins for a fact. So that's true for the beginning of Shabbat. And it's also true for the end of Shabbat. So for Harambam, it seems from Hilchot Terumot and from here that Shabbat, you know when Shabbat ends? 18 minutes after Shekiah. Ah, but I live in Spain. And in Spain, after Shekiah, there is two hours of light. Well, Harambam also, by the way, was from Spain. So this shouldn't have surprised him. But um, the point is, this is a set time. Let me explain to you where we are. So Min HaTorah, Min HaTorah, Shabbat, it seems to be, it seems to be originally, everything went by Shekiah. And let me say, let me give you some background before that. Let me talk about details of technicalities in Halakha. How do you tie your shoes? How do you zip your coat? So there is a lot of things that we do in our daily lives that are very natural. And because we do them naturally, it's part of what we do. We have a culture on it. We don't have many details on it. So there is no book explaining how to tie your shoes, which uh, shoe to tie first, which shoe to tie later, how to, what speed, at what speed to zip your zipper on your coat, and so on and so forth. So too with the practice of the misvot. It all started as we started when Jewish culture was very alive, was very natural, was part of who we were, was part of our nation, the, na the laws of the country, etc. A lot of details were not defined. Everything was done naturally. A lot of questions were not asked. Just like you don't have until today, so for many halachot that remained very ingrained in the culture and everyone practices them in a widespread way, you don't have really details on halacha, like how quickly should I be drinking the wine of the Kiddush? Everyone drinks wine of, of Kiddush and there is no details on how quickly you should do it. Or another example, how do I have to cut the Berit Milah? You will not find from the Rishonim or the Gemara anything discussing the details of how to actually cut the, the, the Brit Milah. In the Torah, you will not find any details, any details on how to do Shahita on the Torah itself. There is one for Shahita, which, as we'll see, Haramam dedicates 14 chapters on the details of Shahita. You have, you have um, uh, one word in the entire Torah, you shall slaughter. This is the only word we have defining how to do Shehita for so many details. Why? Because it was something that was naturally ingrained in the practice of the public. Everyone knew what to do. They didn't have any questions on it. Everyone just went and did it. Same with times for Shabbat. Now, go back to the times of 
you know, 2700 years ago, 2800 years ago, to the time of uh, Yeshayahu Hanavi. The times of Yeshayahu Hanavi, Hizkiyahu, people fulfilled the Torah. They did everything that 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 they that that they thought was was necessary under the Torah. But think of the technology they had to measure time. The only technology they had, and we actually have an example in Yeshayahu Hanavi, which is why I'm bringing him, was solar light. You'd have a sundial, and that's how you'd know the time. The moment the sun stops giving shade, which is Shekiah, the day ends, and there is no more a concept of time. After that time, everyone does things sort of like naturally at their own pace without asking too many questions. So at some point, at some point, maybe because of technological advancements, maybe because the Goim were more, more careful with time, maybe because we didn't feel as naturally practicing the misvot for whatever reason we started asking the questions the moment you ask the questions the bedin gives an answer when the bedin gives an answer that is the nimuflaim that becomes the oraita so you will see if you study this sugiot that there is a clear development there is some questions that were asked by tanaim and by late tanaim by the way about when is shekiah what is ben Hashemashot. so what did they do before then apparently they didn't have these questions they just did stuff and then later on, it was further refined, so much so that we have in the time of the Amoraim, the time of Avayi and Rava, they have discussions on how long should this Ben Hashemashot be, and they set it up. So why am I saying all of this? Because Hem Amru Vehem Amru. The only reason we have the concept of Ben Hashemashot is because Hachamim introduced it. And if Hachamim introduced it, they have the right to define it however they want. And I'm coming to answer a question that I didn't ask, which is, well, that seems kind of random to have 18 minutes, a set time between Shekiah and, and, and night. Why don't we actually do it more scientifically and do it by which place we are at and have astronomical observations and the time of the year? Maybe we'll even do it based on everyone's eyesight because I can guarantee you that two people can be standing on the same spot and one will see the stars before the other one because one's eyesight is better than the other ones. Or obviously, very obvious today for anyone who lives in a, in a, in a modern city, like uh, I think we all do, uh, when you go to any rural area or you go to any place that has fewer lights, you start noticing that the stars are much more visible and they are much more visible earlier than otherwise. So. All of this comes to justify that Hachamim were well within the right to set a set time for Ben Hashem Ashot. If they hadn't intervened at all, we'd go by Shekiah. Now they intervened, now they add a time, and that time is fixed. And it makes sense that that time should be fixed. It makes sense that it shouldn't be that everyone does what he or she sees subjectively on their spot where they are, whether it's cloudy, whether it's not cloudy, you have you get so many questions. So this makes the most sense. This is Harambam's position. It's not the only position, but this is Ben Hashem Ashot in a natural for Harambam. Of course, again, we can speak hours and hours about this. There is, in fact, books written on this topic, um, and, and we, we are just scratching the surface. Just what is the Shekiah? So we said 18 minutes from the Shekiah, from the setting of the sun. What does it mean, the setting of the sun? When does the sun actually set? So... Interestingly, uh, Mari 
כפך עליו השלום, he has a kind of odd theory on this for him, for הרמב״ם, the שקיעה only began when you saw the first star. Not when you stopped seeing the sun, but when you actually saw the first star, and therefore all the times are a little different for whoever follows like the Temanim that Artaim do, Mori Kafech Alav HaShalom, whose work is really unparalleled in explaining Harambam. However, we do have, I believe, a more reliable source than Mori Kafech on this, and this is Harambam's son himself in a Teshuvah cited by, in a teshuvah, I think it's Rabbi Moshe Al-Ashkar, but I'm not sure, I'm not reminded right now. And he cites a Teshuvah by Rabbi Avraham Ben Harambam, yeah, yeah, it's Maharam al-Ashkar. And he, he says in the name of Rabbi Avraham and Arambam, I'm going to read it here. I'm reading from Yad Peshuta of Rabbi Rabinovitz. Again, very highly recommended for whoever wants to go in depth. Va'afilu she'shaka rov agulat ha'shemesh pa'ofek ve'lo nish'ar mimenna ki'im davar mu'at kol od she'lo tishka kol ha'agula b'chlalaha ואת הערוב השמש תחת עגולת האופק, הרי הוא יום ומשפטו כמשפט חצי היום. So Rabbi Avraham and Arambam says it, granted he doesn't say it in the affirmative, he says it in the negative, but the inference is very clear. He says, so long as there is any portion of the globe of the sun that is visible at the horizon, that is still 100% day. Okay, so by implication, the moment that the entire globe of the sun disappears at the horizon, that is Shekiah. That is the clear, clearest, simplest way to define Shekiah. Historically, if you think about this, it makes sense also. That's when they lose any concept of time on their sundials. So for it's clear that Shekiah is when the globe of the sun disappears from the horizon, which is something that's measurable in an objective way it doesn't matter where you are doesn't matter the conditions of the of the day it doesn't matter what your eyesight is like this is an objective measure you can it's a geometric fact that the, that the the globe of the sun disappears from the horizon and then from that moment and on you count 18 minutes the 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 week that we use for Shabbat, we should not do it from some make it from something that the fire is not going to attach properly. And ur, by the way, just as a grammar side point, ur and or are spelled the same. Or means light. Ur means fire. Very important to know the distinction. Kegon semer vesear umeshi. So wool or, or hair or silk. The semer ha'erez, or some kind of uh, of uh, um, natural occurring like uh, tree, tree, tree substances, ufishtansh ronupas or unclean linen, the siv shel dekel umine ha'ais harakim vechayose bahen, or or uh, the the those strings that you can peel off the the palm tree, or any any kind of uh, very moist wood. Rather, it must be from something that the fire will catch very nicely from it. Like the clean linen, 
ובירדשש וסמר גפן וכיוסה בהן or any kind of clothing that was already uh, it was made into into פטילות uh, it's called in Hebrew וסמר גפן or cotton וכיוסה בהן or of the sort והמדליק צריך שידליק ברוב היוסה מן הפטילה and when you light your obligation ends when you light the majority or better yet you cannot fulfill your, your, obligation, your obligation unless you make sure that the majority of the week is lit. What if you use a week of something that you are permitted to light with, atop something that you are not permitted to light with? with. If the reason you are doing this, if the function of it is in order to make the petila, the week, thicker so that there is more fire so that means that you're using the the forbidden element in order to uh, light the fire then asur this is not permissible but if all you're doing is to give stability to the week the function of it is not to be lit also but just to give stability to the week so you have cotton which is very very um, soft and you want to put under it a, a moist piece of, of wood so that that's if the reason you are doing it and the function of it is in order to permit the cotton to stand erect then that should be fine Um, th- this is now something that they used to do in order to slow down to slow down the combustion of whatever combustible they, they were using. So one of the things they would do, they would add some salt. I'm not sure exactly how that works or grease or, or a piece of a bean next to the fire before Shabbat so that the fire lasts for longer. וכל הפתילות שאין מדליקים בהן עושים מהן מדורה, בין להתחמם כנגדה, בין להשתמש לאורה, בין על גבי מנורה, בין על גבי קרקע, ולא אסרו אלא לעשותם פתילה לנר בלבד. And although we said that you cannot use materials that do not catch the fire very well to light the lamp of Shabbat, you are still allowed to use them for any other purpose out of Shabbat. We said in the last chapter, you are allowed to do a מדורה on Shabbat, you are allowed to make a fire to heat yourself off it. during Shabbat. So you're allowed to use any material for that. The only prohibition applies to the ner. Not only does the wick need to be something that the fire catches on it, but also the combustible, the, 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 the fuel, the oil that you use to feed that wick, to feed the fire, also needs to be of a kind that can flow easily through the week to the fire. אבל שמנים שאין נמשכים אחר הפתילה כגון זפת ושעבה ושמקיק ועלייה וחלב, however, kind of oils that do not follow very easily the, the, the week, they don't follow very easily the week on, on Shabbat, uh, sorry, uh, to the fire, like zefet, Zephet is uh, that black material that you put to, to prevent water from, from coming into places. Sha'ava, 
this is actually a, a pretty relevant statement to us because people use it. Shava means wax. We don't use wax for it. Hamim forbade it. It's Ibabim Badakim. We read it every single Shabbat night. For some reason, people use wax candles, but that's not permissible by the Mishnah. Uh, the Shemen Kik. Shemen Kik is a kind of, of a tree. It's the same tree that covered Yonah, by the way, the Kikayon. So the oil that comes from that tree. The Aliyah, Aliyah is the, the fat from the from the tail of the of the sheep. The Helev, Helev is the internal fat of next to the organs, the vital organs of the of the animals. And what they came behind, all of these oils are not very good for following the petila, and we are not allowed to light with them. <clears throat> What's the reason Rabbam says that we are not allowed to light on wicks that don't let the fire catch very well or on oils that don't conduce the fuel very well through the wick? This was a specific prohibition made. Because maybe the light of the candle is going to be too dim, it's not going to be bright enough. And then you're going to be tempted to sort of move it a little bit during Shabbat while you're using its light. Very reminiscent of last chapter and how we forbade a lot of things having to do with cooking because of, sorry, two chapters ago, because of the risk of messing with the fire and making it be lit. Now, if you take helev, which we said you're not allowed to use, but then you melt it, you boil it until it melts, becomes liquid oil. The kirve dagim or even the inner parts of the fish, again, 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 people didn't throw anything out back then. You have to remember. So you take the the the, the guts of the fish and you, you make them into some paste. If you mix inside them, any de minimis amount of oil, that's enough to be permitted to light with them. However, the oils that we said that you're not allowed to light with, oils. So you take, for example, shaman kik. Shaman kik was not allowed to light with. That kind of oil, then you're not doing anything to it by remelting it, as opposed to the fat, which by melting it, you're making it into more of an oil, so it's more permissive. So, even if you mix them with oils with which you are lighting, then uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not permitted. Uh, sorry, even if you mix them with oils with which you are permitted to light, like you mix, let's say, a third olive oil and two-thirds shaman kik, it's forbidden because they are still not going to let you uh, to, to, to have a fire that is going to be safe from the risk of not messing with it. Aitran now is a different category. Aitran is, uh, is, 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 a, is a very stinky fuel. And the reason you're not allowed to light with it, I, I, I don't know what, what you call it, but I can tell you what they used to use it for back in the day. It's it's tar. It's run is tar. It's some kind of a tar, but a tar that doesn't smell very good. It doesn't smell good. Why? Why should you not light with tar that it doesn't that it doesn't create a good smell? 
because if you light with tar, you're not going to want to stick around next to it. And that defeats the purpose of lighting Nur Shabbat, which is to use it and to be in a house that is lit, which is respectable because it lets you enjoy more of the Shabbat. It lets you enjoy more of the night. As an aside, Rockefeller revolutionized the world when he discovered that one of the uses for oil could be kerosene. And he commercialized kerosene back in the in the beginning of the of the 20th century or the end of the 19th century and that revolutionized the world because suddenly people didn't need to stop working at uh, in the winter at 4 30 or 5 p.m rather they, they had a very cheap and relatively safe source of light kerosene which went to all the homes and people had light. This was even before electricity. That's when people started having light at night. So this is just to give you a flavor of the function of Ner Shabbat. Imagine if you didn't have Ner Shabbat. You don't have electricity. The moment in the winter the sun sets, you're pretty much going to sleep. So in order to enjoy more of Shabbat, it was essential to have this Ner. Veloba <clears throat> Sori. You're not allowed to also light with Sori. Sori is actually the opposite. It's a very pleasant smell because it smells very good and you might be tempted to take some of that oil and and use it for for uh, for the good scent that it has but by doing that this is forbidden because you are in a way extinguishing the fire if the, and we're going to see it later if you if you take oil from an oil that's being lit we consider the entirety of that lamp filled with oil as though the fire is drawing from each and every portion of it so if you take a if you spoon out a little bit of that oil you're actually reducing a little bit of that fire the fire was drawing from that oil which you just took and you were a little bit like putting that fire off the old another reason we don't use sodium because it tends to fly away to 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 have a lot of uh, to sprinkle out some sparkles. Velo beneft lavan also not with this is closer to us gasoline vafilu bahol also during not during Shabbat because it's dangerous. Mipenesho afli avoid the sakana because gasoline is very very uh, uh, volatile and it can bring about risks. Halachayud alef mutad leadik lechatechila bishar shemanim. All the oils we didn't mention, a priori, it's permissible to light with them. Like the kind of oil you'd take from senon, senon, as we explained, may or may not be what we call in modern Hebrew senon, which is radish. Sumsemin, sesame oil, lefet, lefet is a root also has some kind of an oil. And Asur Ella Ellu Shemanu Hachamim Bilvad. And the only oils that are forbidden are the ones that Hachamim permitted. Now, some people want to say from here that paraffin or, or uh, wax, as we mentioned before, should be permissible. So wax is definitely not permissible. Hachamim forbade it specifically. But the candles you buy in the store today, the white candles, they are not really wax. Wax made from bees is very expensive. You make it with paraffin. Paraffin is... A, a chemical compound it's a uh, lab made synthetic much cheaper to produce and some people want to say that it's also an oil and it's not an oil forbidden therefore it should be permissible maybe it seems from harambam 
that it needs to be at least an oil, and that's not an oil. But to the extent that it is an oil, then this statement will be the one you'd point to to show that it's permissible to light with it. Um, it, it's forbidden to to create some sort of a of a lamp. Again, you have to understand people were extremely poor back then. They didn't have what to eat, so you didn't want to waste precious oil and just let it burn at its regular pace. If there was anything you could do to slow the pace of the burning so the candle lasts for longer, you would do so. And one of the things they would do is they would set up some uh, some some uh, receptacle, some container that drips very slowly the oil into the ner, into the lamp, so that the lamp slowly, slowly draws from that oil and then and then uh, and then lights. Why? We're gonna see in a second. Likewise, you should not have a mechanism whereby you have two containers. One is the ner where you have the wick. The other one is the container of the oil, and then the wick draws from the second container oil. Hachamim forbade it, lest you come to take from the oil that is in the non-lit receptacle. And the purpose of that would be, and that's actually the, the purpose of, of setting up this mechanism of the long wick, you would do this so that the oil wouldn't get the flavor of the flame. If you take oil that was lit with a flame, it has already the flavor of burnt. It's not so good for food. So if you take from the, the second receptacle, that should be okay. Hachamim did not want you to take oil from the second receptacle. As we mentioned, everything is seen as one unit, and therefore they forbade this kind of an arrangement. It's forbidden also on Shabbat to derive any benefit from the oil that was used to light a candle, even if the candle is no longer lit, even if it, it's, it's, uh, it's spilled over from the, the lamp, from the ner, onto somewhere else, you're not allowed to use that oil. And it's mukse, it's a kind of mukse, as we're going to see in the later chapters of Shabbat, it's called mehamat isur. It's a mukse of keli shemilachto isur. It's a mukse of something that is used for something forbidden. So lighting, the, the, the burning of the combustible is a melacha on Shabbat. This oil is being used for that, it becomes mukseh. However, if the person affixed this container, he affixed this container to the lamp, to the ner, in a in a in a permanent way. So you have the two containers, but one is part of the second in a way, then it becomes permissible. Then it becomes permissible to use the oil from the from the second one. It's forbidden to put a container under the lamp so that it uh, it ends up receiving all the oil 
that falls from it during Shabbat. And this, uh, by the way, is without using the oil, but it's forbidden to even leave the container in there. Because you are causing on Shabbat to change the function of an instrument. You're causing on Shabbat to change the function of an instrument. We're going to see this in Perek Kafhe, that, uh, that it's forbidden to sort of make something become mukseh on Shabbat. And that's what you're doing here. And that's forbidden. But if you do so from before Shabbat, then that's permissible. It's permissible to leave from before Shabbat a container, a plate under the lamp, so that any oil that falls can then be used after Shabbat. It's also permissible to put under the lamp a plate or any other container to receive, to contain, to get all the sparks that come from the candle, from the lamp, not the oil, but the sparks, even though you're indirectly causing these sparks to, um, to turn off at touch, at contact with that container. Because they they end behind mamash because they 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 are not they're not really fire they are just uh, something that's going to last for a few milliseconds. And furthermore, you are not causing this other container to become mukse. However, but it's forbidden to purposely put water inside this container. Even from before Shabbat, because you are actively, willingly, deliberately causing the sparks to turn off before they otherwise would. Pauline is a very interesting uh, verb that they used to use back in the day. Pauline means, uh, by the way, the word pilpul, when people talk about pilpul in the Gemara, I think it's used wrongly nowadays. It's not from, uh, some Israelis think it's from pilpel, maybe from something spicy to spice things up. No, pilpul, the word lefale, lefalot in Hebrew, like in Arabic, my grandmother always used to say, metelfele, when something is clean, it's metelfele. Uh, Felle is something very clean. Uh, fe, fe, Vav uh, Lamed or whatever the Shoresh is. I actually, I don't know what the Shoresh is. Lefale is to clean things up. So Polin Leor Haner is to clean things up. And the verb refers to actually clean someone's head. Is to check someone's head from lice. They wouldn't check. They knew that they had lice. <laughs> Every so often they would just go there and clean the head from lice. That is Polin. And you would need light to do that. So that's something that you should not do next to the, the, the candle of Shabbat, the light of Shabbat, because it's something that requires a lot of attention. And we said before, we use the lamp for everything, but for things that require a lot of attention. Also, we don't read. Korin means to read out loud things that require precision, like Kriat HaTorah, Kriat Shema. It's something that we read very carefully, being very careful on how to read each and every letter. Even if the candle is far away, is a few feet or even 
stories worth of height above the place at which someone wants to read or someone wants to uh, take lice out from someone's head. It's forbidden to do so. The Gezerah applies regardless of the practicability of actually going there and trying to increase the light of the flame. If there were two or more persons reading from the same place uh, using the same light, that's permissible because each of them can remind the other and they're not going to forget and try to increase the flame. But if they are each reading, two or more persons reading each their own subject, then they are no longer paying attention to each other. Each of them is occupied in their own subject, and therefore they are not going to remind each other what to do. Uh, minors, children, really, they can read. This is this is the school. School children can read the, the parasha or whatever from the tikkun from the from the parchment next to a candle next to a lit lamp on Shabbat, if their master is supervising them, because the master is going to supervise them, but the master himself should not do so himself, because the children are not going to remind him. However, he is permitted to find in the Sefer Torah where is the portion that he is supposed to read for them? They used to read, the master would read, and everyone would read after him, would memorize. And thereafter, he gives the parchment, the book to them, and they read. So this is a beautiful illustration of what a school used to look like back in the day. We see from here, they didn't have a book for each person or a parchment, a scroll for each person. So the master would get the scroll, he would look where... In the parasha, he needed to, to teach. So let's say he would find the parasha of Vaera, he would find exactly where it is. And then just by finding it and by reminding of himself the layout, of course, as basically all Jews back then, he would know the rest by heart. So he would turn the scroll to the children who are supposed to be learning how to actually read. Then he would read by heart and they would hear. And we get all of this from this very, very short, brief halakha from the from the details that there is only one sefer and they are reading and he's reading and the fact that he no longer reads the sefer, all of this teaches us a little bit how schools used to be like back in the day. Uh, objects or garments that are very similar to each other, let's say you want to find out if you're getting the dark navy suit or the black suit, and it's, you really have to pay attention to see which one is which. It's forbidden to bring them close to the fire of the lamp in order to differentiate between them. For the same reason, lest you come and, and, and you try to increase the light of the flame. Therefore, too, a waiter, someone who is waiting on a meal and he wants to check which cups are clean, which cups are not clean, or which cups to bring to the table, he cannot do so because he's not yet, he doesn't know them so well, so he really needs to pay attention. Whether it's a, a lamp with oil or a lamp with neft, 
Neft, we said we should not use it for for Shabbat. No, actually, Neft, we, we permitted to use for Shabbat. That that has a lot of light. But if the waiter has done this for a while, he knows exactly which cup is which, which uh, exactly what to bring to the table. He can use the light of the lamp for this purpose to see which cup or which plate to bring. He doesn't need a lot of uh, attention. He Just by looking at it very briefly, he already knows which is which. However, if this lamp is made with shemenzait, shemenzait is, is uh, olive oil, which is something very good for food, then lechatechilai should not do so. If he comes and asks, should I use the candle for this? We should say no, because there still is a little risk that he may be tempted to use some of that oil for the food. If you have a lamp that's set up behind a door, it's forbidden to open the door or to close it without being careful because you're going to inadvertently cause this lamp to be turned off. Rather, he should be careful when, he's, when you are opening or closing that door. And it's forbidden to purposely open the door next to a fireplace or any other kind of fire on Shabbat so that the, the, the wind comes and makes the fire more lively. Even though this is not that you're planning, let's say there's a gust of wind coming and you want to capture that gust of wind, but rather the regular kind of airflow that there is, it's still forbidden to open the door in order to cause that airflow to, to oxygenate the fire. However, it's permissible to put the lamp, to place the lamp of Shabbat in the Shabbat atop a tree that is connected to the ground, even though obviously there's going to be wind, etc. There is no, the suspicion does not extend to that case. Very interesting what they used to do back in the day. Any city, any town that was inhabited by Jews, they would have tekiot shofar before Shabbat. They would have six of them. They would do this tekiot from a very high place. So that not only the people living in that town can hear, but also people working the surrounding areas of that town. They used to set up towns that they had inside the walls of the city where people lived, and outside the wall of the city where people worked, they had all the fields, all the agricultural areas outside the walls of the city. So we want everyone to hear because we want people who are working to understand when Shabbat is beginning. The first time they blow the shofar, people who were working the land, they would stop all the land work, all the land labor, they would stop that. And those who are closer to the city would wait until those who are farther, farther to come in first, just to avoid creating a bottleneck at the entrance of the city.
I'm sorry, uh, the, the ones who are close to the city have to wait for the ones who are far so that everyone comes in together. Maybe it was for safety reasons. And still at that point, the stores are still open. People are still selling any kind of needs that you might need for Shabbat. The moment the second blowing of the shofar is heard, people start closing their, their stores in the market. But there is still activity going on in the houses, in the homes, people are still cooking. Once the third tekiah begins, that's when everyone takes the food out from the fire, what should not stay on the fire on Shabbat. And when you do hatmana, of course, to, to do hazara on last chapter, that's when people light the candles. And then, and then the person who is blowing the shofar, this is very close to the shaki'ah. So that person would wait a little bit until the time that it would take to, to, uh, to, to cook a very small fish. This is about five minutes, says Rav Kafeh. Or the time it takes to glue a, a lafa on the wall of the oven. And then they do tekiah, teruah, and tekiah, veshovet, and that's when Shabbat begins. Just a couple of points of what we can learn from this halacha. Number one, very clear from here, Shabbat did not begin when they lit the candles. They had hadlakat nerot, and yet there was, there was still time afterwards for this emergency kind of cooking of small fish or to put the bread on the oven. So... It's clear to me from here that Shabbat, first of all, it's clear because it says nowhere that Shabbat begins when you light the candles, but it's also clear from here that they used to actually do melacha after they lit the candles. Number two, about Shekiah, think about the guy who is blowing this and he doesn't have an atomic watch to know or an iPhone to know what time it is. So what is he looking at to know when to do the tekiah? He's looking at the Shekiah, he's looking at the actual globe of the sun going down the horizon. Now, about altitude, he's standing on the highest spot of the city. So, again, it's not very clear from here when exactly the Shekiah is and from whose vantage point, but it seems to me that even if you want to say from here it's from the highest vantage point of the city, that should be good enough because that's in fact what used to happen that is the, 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 the visual that was available to the person standing on the highest spot of the city and blowing the shofar to signal to everyone that Shabbat has begun. <clears throat> the first teki'ah is blown on Minha. Minha is about two and a half hours of the, you know, two and a half twelfths of daylight before Shekiah. The third one, right before the sun disappears. And, and so too you do Mosai Shabbat after Sitekochavim. So after Sitekochavim, they'd have these three blowings of the shofar, um, or, or at least once after 18 minutes, so that everyone can go and do what they do. 
if Yom Kippur falls before Shabbat, and Shabbat is Mosa'e Yom Kippur, which uh, which can't happen nowadays that we have a fixed calendar, but it could happen when you had witnesses declaring when Rosh Chodesh should be, then you would not have Teki'ah. Because obviously it's Yom Kippur, so you don't want to blow the Shofar on Yom Kippur. If Yom Kippur falls Mosa'e Shabbat, then you, you, cannot, you should not do the Teki'ah on Yom Kippur either at Mosa'e Shabbat, nor you should do Havdalah. You do Havdalah after Yom Kippur. Yom Tov Shehaliyot Be'arev Shabbat Tok'ain Velo Mavdilin If Yom Tov falls Arev Shabbat So you have Yom Tov and then Like we'll have this year, Pesach by the way The, the last day of Pesach In Eres Israel is going to be Mosai Shavi'i Shel Pesach is going to be Shabbat So Tok'ain Yudu Tok'i'ah Shofar Velo Mavdilin You do not do Havdalah Haliyot Le'achara Shabbat If it falls after Shabbat Mavdilin you do have the line, we do the Havdalah, the special Havdalah of Amavdil ben Kodesh le Kodesh. Velotokain, but we don't do the Teki'ah. In other words, none of these Teki'ot is Doche uh, Yom Tov or Yom Kippurim. And with this, we finish chapter 5.